0: The text this morning is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 25. Hebrews 7, beginning with verse 11. Hear God's Word. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God." And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in their office. But he who holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, Your Word, and we ask that You'd give us grace to understand it, and in this, Your Word, to better behold our servant King, Jesus Christ, who saves us and prays for us. Grant us this grace in His good and gracious name, we pray. Amen. All of history from beginning to end is divided into two parts. The division is the birth and life and death of Jesus Christ. All that comes before Him is designated B.C., before Christ. All that comes after Him is designated Ammono Domini, the year in the year of our Lord. Well, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, the same division holds because the scholars speak of the time before the common era, and then the common era, so-called. And the division is Jesus Christ. And who is it that could be so supreme, so important, and of such great dignity that He is, as some have said, the hinge of history? It is only the Son of God. The divine person who comes in the flesh, Jesus Christ the Lord. And as we look at our text in Hebrews chapter seven this morning, we find Jesus Christ the Lord who comes. And he is the great sacrifice that saves sinners. And having sacrificed Himself, He ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the text in Hebrews in chapter 7 calls you and calls me to behold this kingly priest who saves you. And praise for you. The text in Hebrews expounds one verse in Psalm 110. Keep your finger there in Hebrews 7 and just go back in the Old Testament for a moment to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 and verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 is a psalm of David. We find this in the title. And David prophesies that there is a priest who comes in the family of kings. This is quite unusual. A priest who comes who is in the family of kings. And of course, Psalm 110 verse 4 speaks of the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a priest of God, but he was also Uh, we learn in Hebrews, the king of Salem. And uh, Salem was likely uh, Jerusalem, uh, later called Jerusalem. He was a king and a priest. And uh, David prophesies that a later priest will arise in the family of kings. And Hebrews chapter 7, going back now to Hebrews chapter 7, expounds this text. Psalm 110 and verse 4. If you look at uh, verse 11, for example, uh, you find at the end of verse 11 that a priest will arise after the order of Melchizedek. And in verse 15, the writer to the Hebrews speaks of one who arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. And in verse 17, the writer to the Hebrews quotes from Psalm 110, verse 4. And then in verses 20 and following, uh, the idea of the oath is brought forth. And the writer to the Hebrews again quotes in verse 21 from Psalm 110, and verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind and then finally in verses 23 and following uh, the idea of a eternal priesthood is spoken of that he holds his priesthood permanently and so uh, hebrews chapter 7 verses 11 through 25 unfold uh, this text in the old testament psalm 110 and Verse 4. And you and I, as we study Hebrews, ought to understand that this is the case. And the writer to the Hebrews is applying this text to our lives today. This kingly priest we find at the beginning of our text in verses 11 and following is your Lord and my Lord. And he affects a change in the law. Let's read again from verse 11 and following. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than one named after the order of Aaron. The Old Testament law of Moses, uh, given by God through uh, that prophet Moses, included the ordination of Aaron as the first high priest of the people of God. And that Old Testament law included all the ceremonies involving the worship of Israel and how the priests were to guide the people in the worship of Israel. But now, the writer to the Hebrews asks this question. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law... The Levitical priesthood, the priests that followed Aaron, the first great high priest, were not able to bring the people of God to the goal and to the perfection that God intended for all of His people. And so, there was a change in the law. There was a change in the law that was precipitated by the bringing in of a new priest a priest in the family of kings rather than in the family of Aaron. A king, that, a priest that was a kingly priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 12, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken of belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. Yes, our Lord, your Lord and my Lord, Jesus Christ, arose from the tribe of Judah. And He is ordained as a priest in accordance with Melchizedek's order. Judah Judah was the tribe of the kings. Judah was the tribe of David, the great king. And this is the tribe from which Jesus arose. Your kingly priest, Jesus Christ, is set before you, arising from the tribe of Judah. And because this kingly priest arose from this different tribe, there is of necessity a change in the law. As you and I study the Old Testament, you and I ought to understand that Jesus Christ in His coming affected monumental change. Yes, the Old Testament leads up to the New Testament. The Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are types and those things which prefigure Jesus Christ and You and I need to understand that when the New comes and when Jesus Christ comes, all that's stated in the Old Testament is fulfilled. It's not that the Old Testament now is useless to this extent. We can learn from it. We can learn by understanding that it points ahead to the great things of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a change, a profound change, which takes place. And it's not a change in the law only, but it's actually an abrogation, a setting aside of the Old Testament ceremonies. And this we read in verses 15 and following, that since the the kingly priest, Jesus Christ, comes to us on the basis of an indestructible life. This kingly priest abrogates the Old Testament ceremonies and laws. Verse 15 and following. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek this profound change becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life. The Old Testament priests were set into office on the basis of the fact that they were descended from Aaron and were part of the Levitical tribe set aside by God to conduct and lead the ceremonial worship of the Old Testament. But now, in a profound change, the kingly priest arises not on the basis of bodily descent from a particular tribe, but on the basis of the fact that he is God incarnate and possesses indestructible life. This is the idea behind his being ordained in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 17, For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. The former command involving all of those Old Testament ceremonies, involving those priests and sacrifices, involving the tabernacle and later the temple, so treasured and so coveted by the Jewish people, all of those things are abrogated and finally and completely set aside. They're useless to this extent, as I have already said, that they do not bring the people of God to the destination that God has finally appointed. They're merely pictures and shadows of what is to come. But they do not have the power in and of themselves to bring the people to the destination of glory appointed by God. And so, verse 18 again, on the one hand, a former commandment that is the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. The ceremonial law of the Old Testament is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. It's very interesting when you look at the church at large today. Because the church at large today is quite interested in preserving the Old Testament ceremonies and rooting back and looking back to Aaron, the great high priest, and you can start with uh, uh, the more uh, uh, the churches that we consider to be more high church in their worship, uh, because uh, uh, the priests come in all of their garb and in all of their splendor and. Uh, They pretend to offer sacrifices uh, before God. And they pretend to be the intermediaries before God. And even in those churches that are less high church than uh, the Episcopals and uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the ministers come in their robes and in their garbs, and often they carry their crosses, and they light their candles, and they have their incense... All carrying us back to those Old Testament institutions. I wonder if you realize that one of the reasons we do not use instrumental music in our own worship today is because that instrumental music is a throwback to the Old Testament. And even the ancient Roman theologians said of bringing instrumentation into the New Testament church that it was a Judaizing of the gospel. Very strong language. That it was a bringing of the Old Testament ceremonies abrogated by Christ into the New Testament. But the great kingly priest, Jesus Christ, has abrogated that old law. And so that kingly priest has ushered in a better hope. Verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. In that Old Testament economy, the priests would go morning and evening into the holy place of the tabernacle to put incense on the altar of incense before the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And they would represent the people praying before God. And once a year, the high priest would go behind that veil into the most holy place to sprinkle the blood of bulls and goats upon the mercy seat and to stand before the representation of the throne of God in that most holy place. And thus, the people were represented in these actions before God. But as verse 19 tells us back in our text, the law made nothing perfect it foreshadowed Jesus Christ and the high priest going into the holy place the most holy place foreshadowed Jesus Christ entering not an earthly tabernacle but the tabernacle of heaven made without hands not of this creation astounding when you think about it he entered into that greater tabernacle not with the blood of bulls and goats but with his own blood he appeared before his father and the living God representing the likes of you and me and because he did so having been raised from the dead he causes you and me to be born again to a living hope through His resurrection from the dead. And you who believe in Jesus Christ have a better hope. Yes, not a hope of simply going into an earthly sanctuary or an earthly temple, but of going into a heavenly Temple, having been preceded by your kingly priest, Jesus Christ. This is your hope, your hope sealed by the blood of Christ to enter heaven itself. And not only so, this kingly priest was appointed by the oath of God to usher in a better covenant. Verses 20 and following. And so it was not without an oath. You see a reference again to Psalm 110 and verse 4. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor, the surety of a better covenant. The father interposes an oath in his setting aside his only son to be the kingly priest. And that oath ups the ante and indicates the superlative importance of this kingly priest as compared to those earthly priests who followed Aaron. And this makes him the guarantor of a better covenant. Think about it. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 24, The people of God were brought by Him under the leadership of Moses through the Red Sea to the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on that mountain and received the Word of God and the Law of God from the very hand of God. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he read that law to the people. And the people with one voice said, All that the Lord has said, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses ordered sacrifices to be performed. And the blood of bulls and the blood of goats was shed. And those animals were sacrificed on an altar. And Moses took the blood of those animals. And he threw half the blood on that altar. And he took the other half of that blood and he threw it out on the people. And He said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord is making with you on this day. And all of that was once again a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ would come to do when He shed His own blood on that cross. And you remember the little ceremony through which Jesus took His disciples before He suffered. He raised a cup and He said, This cup is the new covenant in My blood and this new covenant foreshadowed by the old is the covenant that actually brings you into fellowship with the living God and this is why it's a better covenant because it fulfills all that those Old Testament pictures and portrayals gave to us. And so, you and I are capable of celebrating this new covenant. And you and I, having a better hope, know that this new covenant guarantees Our entrance into heaven, which is above. It's the blood of the covenant. The blood of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ that guarantees this new covenant and your entrance into heaven. And so the result is that this kingly priest saves you and prays for you. Look at our text again, verses 23 and following. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them because He lives. Yes, He died on that cross over 2,000 years ago. But He rose again from the dead. And He ascended into heaven. And He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And having received the promise of the Spirit from His Father, He pours out that same Spirit upon the likes of you and me and He applies the benefits of that death which took place over 2,000 years ago, He applies the benefits of that death to the likes of us by the power of His Spirit. And as He does so, He saves us completely, thoroughly, to the uttermost. This is the idea of His being an eternal kingly priest. And once you have been brought under the sway of His power, you will inevitably be changed and you will be by the grace of the great God of heaven brought to glory itself. And in the interim, Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne of majesty as the great kingly priest prays for the likes of you and me. He is a king. And because he sits as king and holds the scepter of power Over all the universe, and over all things, great and small, he is in absolute control of everything that takes place in this world. And in his prayers and intercessions for the likes of you and me, He knows your prayers before they're uttered. And He understands the longings of your heart before you even contemplate expressing those longings. And He intercedes for you before the Father. And His prayers are infallibly answered with regard to your specific needs and your life in the smallest details and in the broadest scope conceivable. He intercedes for you. Behold, your kingly priest, who prays for you and saves you. Yes, behold Him, friends, your kingly priest who ushers in a better hope, a better hope than those Old Testament saints could conceive because they only saw the pictures of what was to come. But you and I have within our grasp the reality of that hope. And we have the down payment given to us in the Holy Spirit. Behold your kingly priest who ushers in a better covenant. A covenant that brings you into the direct presence of the Holy God of the universe. And makes you children of God and ones who have direct access, not through a human priest, but directly, by covenant, guaranteed in the blood of Christ, directly into the presence of the Holy God. Behold, your kingly priest who saves you, who on that cross suffered a darkness so impenetrable that its only likeness will be experienced and is experienced by those who are cast into outer darkness and solitary confinement for eternity. But Jesus Christ suffered that darkness so that you and I would never have to utter the words, My God, My God, why have you forsaken Me? And having died and being raised again, He sits at the right hand of the Father and prays for you and me. Yes, friends, behold, your kingly priest who saves you and prays you. Let's pray together now. Father, how great you are, greater than we can comprehend, full of love and mercy and compassion, Lord Jesus Christ, our kingly priest who has saved us and prays for us. Thank you. Cause us, we pray, to contemplate you further, to love you more thoroughly, and to serve you in this world, anticipating the fullness of, of glory that will be ours as you take us home to that heavenly place of ineffable light. Bless us to this end, we pray, and give us your grace, we ask. In your name, we ask it. Amen.